We are finishing up the year with this Peace in Exile series. We've been looking at prophets, and we've seen how they are realistic optimists. So, so they hit the nation of Israel with the real message of judgment. The, the fact that they have come up short, that the nation of Israel, although God made a covenant with them and is in relationship with them and has given them these commandments and, and show them, hey, this is the way you need to live, the nation of Israel continually went there own way. And so the prophets are God's mouthpiece that brings accusation to the nation of Israel and, and corrects them and, and says, God will not let this go on. There are consequences for sin. God will not condemn sin condemns. What happens when we don't know, when we don't go God's way is that we don't go the right way. And when we're not going his way, that means that there's going to be natural consequences. So these prophets bring a realistic accusation, but they also bring great hope. And they're optimists. And they bring hope with the coming Messiah. Isaiah is a prophet. He lived in 700 BC, 700 years before Jesus, and 200 years before this exile period where really the storyline of Scripture culminates with this nation, this promised the people of God being exiled to a foreign land and under an oppressive government. And we see this prophecy 200 years before prophet Isaiah. We're going to look at a very familiar passage during the Christmas season, Isaiah chapter 9. So if you want to flip to Isaiah 9, we'll be there in just a little bit. But first I want to ask, those that you are in a relationship with, the people that you know closest, probably are hard to describe with only one word. You probably know somebody that is incredible, outstanding, smart, kind, good athletes or good listeners or good, all of these words that describe somebody. And if you know somebody deeply, you will probably find a few ways to describe that person. Who is that in your life? I hope you have one, two, three, four, five maybe even seven, eight, nine, I don't know. But the people that you are in relationship with that you know the best, and you know them the best, and, and there are those things because you've seen those characteristics in them, but you've also received from that person in some way. And today we're gonna look at some characteristics of Jesus. And I hope that in our personal relationships with him, wherever we may be in our walk with Jesus, maybe you're right now like in the best place you've ever been in your faith. May, may have been the hardest year, but you are closest to God in this year. Praise God for that. I hope that you share that with others. And I hope that you tell others about what God is teaching you and how close you are with him because the more we talk about him, the more it becomes about him and, and not ourselves. Or maybe you're here and you're just starting out. You may call yourself a baby Christian. You're just really you know, starting your, your, your faith walk and, and you're understanding more and more about who he is, and, and the more you, you see in him, the more you're uh, falling in love with him. Or maybe you're here and you've been walking with the Lord for a long time, but you find yourself distant. You find yourself far away from him for, for some reason. Maybe you, you think that he's angry at you, or maybe you think that he's punishing you. Or maybe you're here 
and you don't have a relationship with Jesus. Maybe you're seeking, but not really. Maybe you're not interested. Maybe you just are here because your parents are here, because a friend is here, because a kid is here. But you and Jesus, not really, not really there. Well, he welcomes us wherever we are. And I want to share that for me, growing up Catholic, I knew that God was real. And I also knew that God was very distant. I would show up to church knowing how guilty I was, uh, full of shame. And I would just do every, I would try to do everything right. If you've ever been to Catholic churches, there's a lot of little rituals, things. And I was like, I wanna do everything perfectly so that God is pleased because I don't wanna be punished. I don't want him to look down on me. I want to be right before God. And we've been looking at this word, peace. Do you know that the Hebrew definition for peace is shalom? The word is shalom. And it doesn't just mean peace in circumstance. It means peace in our relationship with God. It means right standing before the Almighty. And my life changed when at 18 at Texas State University, through a community group in this church, we started reading the word together. And I started realizing that this religion that I had was actually what was keeping me away from him because he had already come to us. He had come for me and he had paid the price for my sins so that I would no longer have to be caught in all of these works. I had shalom. I had peace with the Almighty and there was nothing that I could do to earn it and there was nothing that I can do to change his love for me. Everything in my life has been, since then, has been, a, has been a, a response to the gospel. We talked about believe last week. Mary spoke on how the gospel is, is so confusing sometimes because it's so simple. And we add on all of these things. But the Christmas message is about this gift that we must receive and cannot earn. And so I hope and pray that wherever you are today, that you would just receive this gift. And, and as we read Isaiah 9, that he would show you something that would compel you to grow closer to him. Let's pray together before we jump into the word. Father, we thank you for being here with us. We thank you that your love is greater than any of our mistakes, that you came for relationship, not for religion. I, I ask God that wherever we may be in our walk with you, that as we read these words, your words, these words written for us by you, that we would grow closer to you, Jesus. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So we're in Isaiah chapter nine, realistic optimist. Isaiah chapter eight is pretty doom and gloom. It's talking about the Assyrian exile. So the first of two exiles, the Assyrian exile came first and then the Babylonian exile. And, and, and so it's talking about all these bad things that are gonna happen. Isaiah nine flips the page. We hit the optimist tone and it starts by saying, nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Nephtali, but in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. What is Isaiah talking about? He's talking about Jesus. In Matthew chapter four, verses 15 and 16, actually starting in verse 
12. When Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he withdrew to Galilee. This is Jesus now, 700 years later. Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali, to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah, the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people living in darkness have seen a great light on those living in the land of the shadow of death. A light has dawned. Jesus is fulfilling these words written 700 years prior, right before he starts his ministry. The next verse says that Jesus began preaching, repent for the kingdom of God is near. Isaiah is talking about Jesus. Verse two of Isaiah chapter nine, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light on those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. We're talking about a time of peace. We're talking about a time where we were living in darkness, but something happened. And now a light has dawned and and we have hope. Let's continue reading in verse four. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressors, every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. So the time of chaos, the time of, of, of war is coming to an end. That's the context that we're Reading here in Isaiah 9, he, is, he alluded to the Midianites being defeated. We find that way back in the Old Testament in Judges chapter 7 when this guy named Gideon defeated the Midianites with, with an army of 300. They were total underdogs and it was a great victory because of the Lord. And he's saying that victory will come again. My mind immediately goes, all right, here we come, the coming warrior the coming king, the coming champion. Let's read what verse six says. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given and the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace a little bit of a plot twist, a little bit anticlimactic. You think that this warrior, that this king, that victory will come, maybe a guy like Gideon, whose mighty men defeated an entire army, and here he says that he will give us a child, a son. And look, I love kids. I got four of them, seven, five, three, and two, but I do not want my kids to to have the government on their shoulders in the stage that they are right now as children. Anybody else with me? But here we have this picture of the coming Messiah coming as a child. And why is it so important that he comes as a child? Well, because he is the son of the father. The father's love is so profound that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes will not perish but inherit eternal life. Another word in that uh, uh, passage is begotten, my begotten son, which means that not only is he the son, but he is also fully God. And it's important for us to know that it is God's only son who is our wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father and prince 
of peace. These are the titles that I wanna focus in on in this message. I wanna focus in th uh, at three of the four and then we'll pick up Prince of Peace, the last one at Eve, Eve. Does that sound okay? And so let's look at the first one, wonderful counselor. Wonderful counselor. Jesus is our wonderful counselor. What do you look for counsel in? Who do you turn to when you need some advice, when you need some knowledge, when you need some information, when you just need somebody to tell you maybe something that you want to hear? Turn to this. Maybe you turn to a trusted friend. I hope, I hope that you have some wonderful people in your life that can give you some advice and counsel. And those are great, especially people, not necessarily this. Check this out, y'all. In 1998, when Google came about, the daily search amount was 10,000 searches. So 10,000 searches a day. I don't think they were searching for churches, but 10,000 searches a day. Today, there's over 2.5 billion searches a day. 40,000 every second. That's four times as much every second than what we used to search 1998 a day. The information, the quantity of information that is out there is crazy. And we will find some good information there. But y'all, it does not even begin to compare to the counsel that is in here. Wonderful counselor. How often do we turn to God first in prayer before we turn to our phones and search for an answer or search for, for something? How often do we turn to God's word for advice and for counsel before we go to a trusted friend? Nothing wrong with trusted friends, that's great, but it doesn't begin to compare to what God has written here for us. Jesus told us that he, he was gonna send the Holy Spirit as our counselor. Sometimes we pray, Lord, give me words. I need like verbatim advice for something. And that's great. And I believe that he does speak to us in that way. But I also know that he's written a lot of words for us here. And so let's open this up. And I had a conversation with a friend this week and he said, I'm out with the Old Testament. Like, I do not want to be reading it. I don't understand it. It's weird. There's crazy things. Like, I don't want my kids reading it. And that's because it takes work. <laughs> it takes work to study. It takes fervent Bible readers to read and see what this is all about. And so thanks for listening as, as I really compel us to, to be better Bible readers because I believe that when we do that, we're doing what Psalm 119.24 says. Your testimonies also are my delight. This is the psalmist talking to God. He says, they are my counselors. What are God's testimonies? Well, he's sure given us a whole lot of testimonies in here. Other testimonies, check out Project 2020 for other testimonies. But these, these are sacred. And these are written for us. One of the things that makes the Old Testament hard to understand is like, well, I get Jesus, I get the gospels and you know, the New Testament is a little bit more direct, but where is he in the old I wanna highlight one of my favorite passages that ties the entire Bible together. It's Luke 24, 
44. And the context is that Jesus was crucified, Jesus resurrected, and this is Jesus talking to the disciples right before he ascends into heaven. And he said to them, Luke 24, verse 44, this is what I told you while I was still with you, that everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Jesus is identifying the Old Testament in the way that the Jewish canon is written, the Tanakh, the Torah, the Nevi'im, and the Ketuvim, the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalm from Genesis in our order all the way to Malachi. That's about Jesus, our wonderful counselor. We have community groups that can help us, you know, dissect what the word is saying. But I want to give you two resources, maybe a Christmas gift for yourself. There are some crazy cool things on this thing, as well as Google. There's this thing called Bible Gateway. It's not the Bible app, it's Bible Gateway, although the Bible app is awesome, but the Bible Gateway has a subscription. You can pay, shoot, I didn't, you know, I didn't do my sales pitch. You can pay some, not much less than Netflix and all of that stuff, subscription a year, and you can get a lot of great resources that will help you read through the Bible. Same thing with Crossway. They have the ESV app. I would encourage you to get either or both of those so that we can fall in love with God's word and truly see how wonderful his counsel is. Colossians 2, verse 3 says, uh, 2 and 3 says, my goal, this is Paul writing, my goal is that they may be encouraged and heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, that they may know the wonder of God, that they may see how wonderful he is, namely Christ, verse three, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. This has nothing on Google, amen? So let's search it and let's allow it to be our counsel because that's who Jesus is. He is our wonderful counselor. He's also our counselor, not only in knowledge, but also in compassion. He is the best person that we can turn to when we just need somebody to listen. And my favorite story for this is he's visiting his buddy's Lazarus house. His, his buddy just passed away and, and he's with his sisters, Mary and Martha. And the end of the story is that Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. So it's a good ending. But he sees that Mary and Martha are weeping. He sees that Mary and Martha are, are distraught. And instead of giving them knowledge, hey, don't worry because I'm about to do this thing. He's gonna come back to life. Just have faith. Watch me, like I'm gonna do my thing. Instead, Jesus weeps. We read that Jesus wept and he was there full of compassion for his friends. Maybe that's the kind of counseling that you may need in this season. Just being close to our wonderful counselor who knows what we are going through and is full of compassion. He is our wonderful counselor. The second is that he is mighty God. Let's say that together, mighty God. Look, I have a little workout thing and sometimes I feel stronger than other days and I'm like, I can do things because I'm strong because when I'm disciplined, you get stronger physically, spiritually, emotionally, fill in the blank and, and we have the capacity to grow pretty strong. My neighbor just competed in Mr. Olympia. He is just jacked. I mean, jacked old neighbor, high school buddy. We played football together. That's strong physically. But you know what happens when, when we 
try to up our strength, we are deceived that we're like really strong or enough, as strong enough. And the truth is, is that we ain't. <laughs> and, and, and if we're deceived, then we miss that it is in our weakness that he is strong. It's in our lowest point when we need God the most. That is when he can be mighty God. First Corinthians 12, 9, 11, Paul is writing here, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul says, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses and insults and hardships and persecutions and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Did you read what it says right there that he delights in weakness and in insults and in hardships and in persecutions and difficulties? How? Well, when we know God as mighty, when in our relationship with the Lord, we see that he is strong. He is our strong tower. Proverbs 18 says that the name of the Lord is a fortified tower and the righteous run to it and are safe. Not only is he strong, but we are also safe when we are with him. Psalm 28, seven says, the Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts in him and he helps me. My heart leaps for joy and with my song, I praise him. And Zephaniah three seventeen, the Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. God is mighty. He is mighty for you and me today in whatever we may be going through. And so that's maybe where you just need to rest in the fact that God is mighty and that you are in a safe place where you can run towards the strong tower and be covered by the wings of the Almighty. We need to do that when we're in relationship with him because things will happen if they haven't already in your life where we need someone to come and cover us. And the third is everlasting father. Let's say that together. Everlasting father. He will provide and protect. Back then in ancient times, this connotation of father would kind of be like our way of saying like the founding fathers, they're the patriarchs or the ones that started things or the ones that set things up for us as they have in, in our country. But the one thing that uh, happens with any nation is that those fathers, they die. And even though their ideals and, and their plans may move forward, they gone. They're not with us. <laughs> we read here that he is everlasting father. He is, he was, and is, and is to come. And so this child also is father who knows no end. And he calls you and I son and daughter. First John 3, 1 says, See what a great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. So we have wonderful counselor, mighty God, and everlasting father. Worship team, you guys can come back up. I 
Don't know which of the three speak to you in this season, but I would encourage you to maybe choose one to hold on to. Choose one to call Jesus by name. Say, Jesus, this morning, you're you're wonderful counselor. I need your counsel and and, and, and I look to your advice. Or, Or maybe it's, Lord, I'm feeling weak. And so I need your strength. I need your protection. I need your safety. Or maybe I need a father. I need someone to hold me and and to say that I'm gonna be provided for and protected. Maybe you just need a sense of belonging. I don't know what those three are. We, We have Prince of Peace. We'll talk about that on Wednesday. And what I love about this is that all three, all four, give us that shalom in our relationship with the Lord. Right standing that we're enough today, no matter what we've done, no matter what we walked in here with on our shoulders or, or uh, anything in our minds, we have a God who's faithful to meet us where we are. So if you wouldn't mind, let's stand up as we close in prayer. Father, I thank you that you are wonderful and our counselor and that you are mighty God you're strong, you're strong. And that you are everlasting Father. I pray that we would hold on to the gospel this morning, that you came, you so loved us where we are right now that you gave your only son. And all we need to do is believe. And we will not perish, but inherit eternal life. And and you did not come to condemn us, God, but you came to save. That's the Christmas message. You came to rescue us from the punishment, from paying the price for our sins. I thank you, God, for relationship with you, that you are a personal God that is knowable and that is full of compassion. I ask God as we close that we would exhale and inhale and allow you, God, to overcome us with your peace that makes no sense, that we would pray and release anything that, that we may be holding and that you, God, would replace worry and anxiety with your peace. We thank you, God, for being faithful. In Jesus' name I pray.